Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this very special episode with Alec Dawson, Senior Game Designer. We had a lovely chat with him. We're going to let the interview stand on its own as the episode, so it'll be a little shorter than you're used to. After this, we're going to take a little pause, work on Madness of the Dark Moon Fair, theory crafting, and card reviewing, and we're going to figure out a timeline for the next podcast episode. It will be announced, but we don't have a timeline quite yet. So hang tight. Vicious Syndicate will be back with all the reports and theory crafting and card ratings and podcasts that you know and love. Enjoy the episode. Huge thanks to Steven Sensei for our intro and outro as always. And thank you so much to Alec and the Blizzard PR team for making this interview happen. The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Data Reaper podcast. My name is Ridiculous Hat. I am your host. It's a very special episode. With us as always, we have Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? Doing all right. And we are joined by a special guest, senior game designer and Golden Wisp owner, Alec Dawson. How's it going? Good. How are y'all doing today? Doing okay. It's a... Uh... You know, it's an exciting day when when Vicious Syndicate gets to talk to Team Five. That's a that's a special occasion. Yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to be here. It's funny you said Golden Wisp owner. That's a. <laughs> it's funny to hear that again. It's been quite a while. So I meant the cards. I assume you have two Golden Wisps. I crafted two myself because I was trying a disciplinary and gambling list. But yes, also your your old podcast back in the day, back when you were you were one of us, just a fan. And now you make the game. So give us a little bit of introduction. What's your current role in Hearthstone? And can you prov- give us an idea of, of well, what you're doing these days? Yeah, I'm a senior, senior game designer on Hearthstone. Uh, currently heading up some final design on future sets. Um, so I also did Skullman's Academy, was the, the lead there, and, and was on initial up until um, you know, Dark Moon Fair. So yeah, well, lots, of, lots of good stuff. Even do some Battleground stuff sometimes too. So, you know, it's fun to... On Hearthstone, it's really fun to do a lot of things, and that's been really fun over the last year. Yeah, heading up, heading up final design. Congratulations, I think. Congratulations. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. So, Alec, how you doing? Zacho here. Um, this is the first time we have a member of Team 5 as our guest in any capacity, and I personally really appreciate you coming over, and we're really proud and thrilled to have you here. The Data Reaper project has been going on since Whispers, uh, which is fitting, considering we have the old gods coming back in Darkmoon Fair. Uh, what's your perspective on how you know data collection sites since then have changed the pace of the meta's evolution, have changed the game over time compared to years ago? Does Team 5 consider such analysis to have any positive or negative consequences? We know that there's some community sentiment and mostly you know they focus on the negative but there might be positive too what's your what's your take on this yeah i think that's a great question you know it's a big question too it's something i think about quite often because going back you know even when i was doing my podcasts and if you're a player how would you look at the meta and figure out what you're supposed to play you'd maybe look at tempo storms you know meta snapshot that came out every two weeks or something but it's very subjective it wasn't something you could point to say, actually, no, this is the best thing. You have arguments online about what may be the best deck and then in tournaments see what performed the best, usually because of what you 
they think someone just won with a tournament deck. That might be like, oh, I'm definitely going to play that. And so I don't think the experience nowadays is necessarily better or worse. I just think it's different. Um, I would say one thing about these sites and, and your sites and others, what it does allow players to do is make really informed decisions, right? And that, that's something we've even done in, in our client as well a tiny bit is you can come into the game and if you just hit complete my deck, it's going to build you something that's actually going to be a little bit better than it used to be in the past, right? It's not going to randomly fill with cards. It's going to be something that, hey, this is going to be a meta deck that you're going to have to play on the ladder based on the cards that you included first and based on your collection. So that's great. I think it's great for players to come in and have more information out there and make deck building easier. It is one of the hardest things in Hearthstone. It's a very daunting task. So whatever we can do uh, you know, as a game and as a community to make that easier, I think is a really good thing. I, I think on the other side of it though, you know, card games inherently are about discovery, right? New sets come out. Uh, we do card reveal season and theory crafting is one of my favorite things in card games. And you, and you look at what can develop and what happens here is that those things do get solved a bit faster than they did in the past, right? Uh, it's interesting, uh, even when I say that, though, I, I don't even necessarily think it's completely true. Um, I say solved in the sense of the community thinking something's solved, but it's more of the general consensus coming together uh, faster, right? Because I actually believe you could release a set, and, and this is something uh, Peter Whelan talked to me about a long time ago when I first joined. He's like, you can release a set five times and the meta is going to be different each time. It may not, it may, it may end at the same place, but based on the trends, based on who's playing what deck and how things catch, that's going to have a complete ripple effect in terms of what everyone's playing, right? I mean, look at just right now with Weaver Paladin. That was something I think some people had some builds early on, but say you just, for some reason, someone gets that solid build week one and then that's like oh how does the meta shift from there right i think you know coming to Skullman's, we knew guardian animals was going to be really good so obviously that was going to be at the forefront and that's what people were going to react to and they were going to get that build up first right so i think these sites it, it makes the world so different and i think from our side we've been trying to adapt to that world what that world means, what that pace means. And that's something with balance changes or even making, you know, as I said earlier, making it easier to deck build in the client, things like that. So a long answer, but, you know, uh, but there's a lot of thoughts here. I think about this all the time. I think it's actually one of the most interesting things outside of what we do in our game that affects our game. I agree. I think from my perspective, if you look at positive things, you just mentioned Librum Paladin. I'm not sure Librum Paladin would have gained traction, would have been popular on ladder if publicly available data didn't show it to be that good. And you think about Cyclone Mage a few weeks ago before it was nerfed. Think about if data wasn't available, how powerful would it be perceived by the players if there wasn't that information? I think that complaints over that deck would have been far higher and more prevalent uh, if, there, if there wasn't publicly available data. So sometimes I think these websites help bridge communications better between the community and the developers because they're kind of on the same page or closer to the same page than they did before. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that as well. I think it's something, uh, even if our data isn't like completely aligned sometimes, I, I think that's a great point where it's like the communication there is, hey, actually, these are good decisions because of this. And, you know, I think that's a good conversation to have. Uh, sometimes I even wonder myself is, how much should we 
sharing of that. I, I think there's a fine line between us being the ones that guide things and coming in and kind of showing everything. I think that's a little murky. I would never want to be in that position, but I think it's also good, you know, when Ixar goes on Twitter and says, Hey, here's some of the top decks right now, uh, you know, maybe different from what everyone's expectations were. It helps as well if Ixar knows the difference between the number two and the number seven, which I will say has been, you know, hit or miss. Um, but yeah, it's so, and Ixar was posting, I think in DOD was when he was posting a lot of those meta reports along with the balance changes that were happening along the time um, of which decks were performing. And DOD is also where I think Team 5 really took a different approach to balancing, where the patches became much more frequent. And that can help the data collection sites in some ways. And also, you know, it disrupts how frequently we can publish reports. But at the same time, it creates that fresh look at the meta, which you have to take every time there's a new patch. So what has prompted Team 5 to take this different approach of more rapid balancing? Yeah, I think for a long time, there was a thought on our team that perhaps frequent balance changes would really hurt the player base in ways that were significant. Um, I don't think that thought is true and it didn't turn out to be true, you know, as we continued this process. There's definitely things to consider there, obviously, you know, from our side, frequent balance changes, we think, create a much more engaging game. Uh, we, we think coming in and be able to inject more content uh, with balance changes or even, you know, perhaps cards in the future, like later on in Dark Moon Fair, is something that we think is really great for the game to breathe new fresh life into it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's, you know, without some, but there are things to consider there too, though, right? Where we come in and we change a deck that someone's been building up for a while, that can hurt, right? Uh, so I think some of our philosophies there, yes, they're faster, but we also don't want to make such changes that immediately strike a deck completely out of the meta and make it absolutely unplayable. You know, what, what may have happened in the past with some old changes. We want to be a, a tiny bit more minor in some of those changes we want things to shift but you know look at the warrior changes that we made in the past where there were stat adjustments and that deck is still pretty good still pretty playable that's and we don't want to kill that off immediately right um so i I think the main push here from us though is that it does create a more engaging game um so yes we think that is that's better for the game if we come in and we're able to adjust things more frequently imagine a world that we're in right now and Undertaker Hunter comes out <laughs> or something like that. Is that something we would like let like sit for a long time? I, I, I think we would be pretty, re, uh, we'd react pretty quickly there because 24 hours, 24 hours. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe 24 hours. So. <laughs> I, would, I would really wonder what it would be like in this world. 10 minutes after the first <laughs> Team 5 member, BGH is an Undertaker. 10 minutes after that, <laughs> there would be a nerf patch. Um, yeah, and... Do you think the do you think the new cadence of balance changes changes how you design at all? Because I guess if you get the idea they're going to change more quickly, then maybe you have more freedom. But also, if you want to avoid that disrupting uh, a deck that a player's been building to, that could be almost more challenging in a way. Yeah, and and it's also about I think there's two things here. Uh, you know, with the frequent balance changes, uh, these two things go hand in hand. Where it's about hey, if we're going to come in here and be able to do this quickly, we, we can push a little harder, make things more exciting, make things, you know, a bit more powerful. I, I think I was just looking at some skull mass examples uh, before this, where it's three cards that we were really talking about before 
Skullnets Academy came out were Voracious Reader, Guardian Animals, and Penflaner. And what those cards would look like uh, in certain worlds. Uh, Penflaner actually was pretty late change. Uh, uh, I think it was a two mana. It was maybe like deal, our three mana deal two damage and two mana deal one. And we played it for a bunch of combinations, but we we're like, eh, one mana, one, one. Go with the effect. We think that's going to be pretty, you know, pretty good, pretty solid there. Voracious Reader, we, we knew that card was going to be quite powerful, but we'll look at it right now. It's, you could say it's, oh yeah, it creates some, you could make a more aggressive deck with this card in mind. That's pretty interesting. Guardian Animals definitely knew it was going to be pretty strong. And I think the right decision was to release it where it was, right? And let that play out and let everyone react to that and uh, let the community kind of figure out how to deal with that, which they did, uh, which I thought was actually one of the best uh, narratives coming out of Skullman's was, you know, Guardian Animals drew day one. Everyone thought it was like, this is going to be absolutely insane. And Dex reacted to it. Dex came up. Dex were able to beat it. And that, that was really great. I think that's, you know, that's one of the best things about card games, uh, seeing how that can all develop. So when I look at Skullman's, yes, we were able to do more powerful, exciting things because of this. You know, be because of our new cadence and because of the way we now treat balance changes. But you have to let us squelch Penflinger at some point, right? <laughs> I'm fine with keeping it as it is. So, uh, in general, you've talked about this, but I think that the meta in Skullman's Academy was generally very well received amongst the player base, and the expansion seems to have been successful in diversifying the field and. Uh, giving a lot of exciting options for players. Uh, but, but of course, with every every meta, there will be some issues raised in the community. And probably the most popular complaint were the high amount of randomly generated cards that you have classes like Mage, Priest, and Rogue can produce. Now, personally, I didn't see that as a big of an issue, and I talked about it in this podcast as well. But how do you feel about generation and the discover mechanic right now? Yeah, I think some of the complaints are warranted uh, to an extent, right? I think we are a bit heavy here. Um, what, what the way I like to view it is we don't want the best decks in your class to not really care about the cards you're putting inside your deck. I think it's important for a card game like ourselves when the cards I'm putting in my deck are supposed to matter. I, I, I think that, you know, that's... That's a very plain statement, but when we look at some of the, some of the generation decks that we've seen, uh, you know, over the past months, sometimes that wasn't always the case, or it could feel like it wasn't always the case, right? And and that's that's an important thing here. If you felt like you were losing to randomness too much, that can be very frustrating. Now, there are cards in in, in particular that definitely cause a bigger effect to that. So so for us, it's more about hey, let's look at the future. Let's look at making maybe less mana cyclones, cards that do a ton of multi-generation, and let's do things that are like, you know, one for one. I think cards like Wandmaker are actually really great for us. Uh, and focusing on how much of that is available in the pool at one time, and but the cards that really can, you know, break that for us are the cards that are going to create a ton of cards in one game. And if that's going to happen all the time, then, you know, I think as a player, sometimes you can really feel that. You can feel that way. You're like, what do I even do? Uh, you know, th th that is, that's a challenge. There's definitely some skill there to, to navigate those, you know, navigate those games. But I think there is a reaction that you can have as a player that can be quite negative to that. So yes, we're a little, a little high right now. I, I think there's also, you know, there's two things for us in the future, ways that we can navigate this ourselves, where it's like, we can make less of it and 
and or it can be less powerful too, right? I, I think for us, we don't always want those to be your best decks. Um, and providing options for those classes that are different is one of our main goals going forward. Yeah, and, and a different slant to this is, is what you just mentioned a little bit when it comes to the frustration of players that too much generation lowers player uh, agency, lowers the player's skill because you can't play around generated cards. Now, interestingly, uh, we see Skullman's Academy as actually one of the most skill-testing metas, and we've looked at it internally as well, that these created by decks, even though they generate a lot of cards, they do exhibit steep learning curves and have a lot of depth and complexity to them. Uh, what do you think about this debate? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting they can create varying experiences from the game to game. Uh, you know, So you're not always playing against this, the same puzzle there. And it takes a lot of skill to, to go through that and be able to perform every time. Right. I think in some of those, you know, priest mares, while it, it, they can go on for a very long time and watching those over and over may, may be something that's, you know, something that's not the best as, as a viewer. Those are some of the most skill intensive matchups sometimes. Right. And for us, it is I think when you can when you have the ability to gain tiny percentages in a match based on your knowledge, I, I think that's really good for us. Uh, one, one thing here, to, what I do want to say, though about generation randomness in general, I think it is very exciting for Hearthstone. We've seen some of the things where I don't think it's a matter of should this exist or not in Hearthstone, right? I think that's actually one of the best things that we do in Hearthstone, the discover mechanic and be able to change up what the expectations of this match can be. Now, if, I, if you go into a match and you have some sort of sense that this is going to be the, the outlook of it the entire time and the expectations uh, come to light in, in a way that you know what? I expected to lose. It happened exactly as I thought it was going to. And the cards just play themselves. That's not, that's not what we want to happen either, right? We want those matches. You want you to have some way to shift what that may be and what that experience could be. I think that this might be a case of maybe something. There are a lot of mechanics in Hearthstone that you know can be very healthy on the surface. And maybe when they're too ubiquitous and, and maybe too powerful and overwhelming, then players might label them or mislabel them as unhealthy as inherently unhealthy but i think it might be a case of you know you have a you have a cake and it tastes pretty good but if you eat too much of it you might get sick of it and this this might be the case here i like to use this example all the time i think we saw it in with rush minions and galakron's awakening where there were a lot of rush minions that were really powerful and people complain about that mechanic being unhealthy but i think when something is in moderation you don't see too much of it and it's not too overwhelming or dominant in matchups then I think it, it, it's more reasonable and people will complain about it less. Definitely. And, and that was something even with the with Rush that we did cut back on in future sets as well. You know, if you look at uh, like Skullments, but also even Ashes Outland, that was something we came into near the end there where we're like, hey, there's a lot of Rush in this set. Let's trim it back a little bit. And uh, we actually made some changes that are pretty late, uh, you know, in, in reaction to that. And because we felt it was true as well. Sounds like game design is hard. Uh, there's a lot of balancing here because you need to have just the right amount of everything. Um, yeah, props to you all for the efforts put in. And when we look at, well, we want to talk about some magic words. The magic phrase, the catchphrase, play pattern. Let's talk about that phrase. Um, a lot of the nerfs this expansion, I think you, you've actually specifically commented on because you are patch notes Alec on Twitter um, of 
Guardian Animals was actually in a healthy spot from a numbers perspective, but maybe not as much from a play patterns perspective. Kael'thas, Elusia, there there were specific spots where these cards were outliers in how the games felt, even if the deck's win rate was in line with the meta. How does the team consider this approach, especially with what you've mentioned earlier, that some of these nerfs to specific outliers might actually hurt the deck's overall win rate, but also dealing with these feel-bad moments? Yeah, I think Elushia is a pretty great example there. Elushia uh, is probably a little too strong, uh, you know, back at two mana and everything. But what we saw was you could feel like you lost the game in the first few turns, right? If, if, you, were, if you were the Druid player, they play Elushia and they go, Lightning, Lightning Bloom, take your overgrip away. Uh, th- things like that, I think, were probably too much. And what we want to look at and what we want to you know, make sure it doesn't happen is that you come to the game and you have these moments where you go, oh, I just lost this game. And especially when that happens in the first few turns, right? Especially when that can happen pretty early. I, I think that's why, you know, cutting back a little bit on Evocation and, and cutting a little bit back on Elucia makes some of those early feelings there disappear, right? It, it definitely makes them happen a lot less. And th- that's important to us. I, I think when we have those moments where they're building up, they're building up, like you see in Darkmoon Fair of Cthulhu, and then you go, oh, I just lost this game. And you're like, yeah, they played all of their Cthulhu cards. They drew Cthulhu, and then they played Cthulhu. <laughs> so I think that's a little bit more appropriate, right? And, and I, that's the sort of buildup that we like, rather than, wait, you take a snapshot of this, what this game state could be, and then you take a snapshot of the game state was at the end of your opponent's turn, and all of a sudden... It looks completely different, right? I, I, I think we need to, I think what we have, we have our eye out for those sort of things. We, we, we like to be in a spot where you can do big, exciting things, but maybe not as drastic as what we had with some of the Kel'thas turns and things of that nature. And, and perhaps the most, maybe the most unfortunate part of Skullman's Academy is that there are several decks that relied on these huge power swings, uh, on these really, really powerful cards, and and then you were in a predicament where you kind of had to nerf them for play pattern reasons, but then these decks were severely weakened and felt like they were pushed out of the meta. So it was like a, a difficult balancing decision where uh, you need to d- decide whether you keep these play patterns, these problematic play patterns, or you risk kind of pushing these decks out of the meta, and players may feel like they have less options. Uh, because the, the the decks were kind of balanced around these power turns, we tied it with the Dark Lair, especially in Zoo, for example. Yeah, I think Dark Lair in Zoo, but I think there's you know hopefully future possibilities for that. I, I think even with Guardian Animals, looking at it, we saw a future with it too. You know, we, we saw what that future could look like. And right now, uh, this is probably one of the more contentious points uh, for from us. Like I, I was just looking at some stuff in Guardian Animals. You can still play that deck, right? You can still play it. Yes, it feels a little bit weaker, but you know we're looking at it right now, right around, you know, right, 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 right. We're doing all right, you know, right in between maybe. Yeah, what it's you not. Call it's not like two, dumpster, tier two, but tier, it's, tier, tier, tier three, right around there. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I think playable. that's part of our intention, right? Yeah, I agree. All right, Zach, you get to ask the question. The question. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about uh, Darkmoon Fair uh, from a game design perspective. So there are a lot of high-level players that listen to this podcast and, and follow it. And the first question I have to ask is, what is the story of Yogg? 
And do you consider this new Yog to be a risk? Because we've seen some pushback from these players. And this is an opportunity for you to send a message to them. So what do you want to say to these players regarding Yog and their concerns of the card? Well, we're going to take risks. So even if Yog's a risk, we're going to take multiple risks You know, with expansions. I think that's something we should always be doing. I think that's exciting. When we, when we look at there's a few cards in each set, we're like, that's scary. I think that's a great thing for us. Uh, I think that's very exciting. Uh, not only as you know, us putting the content out there, but also from, from a player side too. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? With Yogg, the story there for us was always about rekindling some of that old Yogg magic. You know, I, I think it's very easy to look at look at Yogg of the past and understand, hey, you know, this card got nerfed later on. It was obviously like a thing in tournaments that we didn't want to happen all the time. But I mean, I remember Yogg, you know, way up until that point too, where it was like the most exciting thing in Hearthstone for quite a while until it became super prevalent and everywhere, right? I think that's one thing, like, let's look back at Yogg and remember there, there's a lot of positive excitement around there. So we had other designs in mind. You know, we, we had stuff like if you played 10 spells this game, discover five and cast them. For each spell you played, shuffle a gift of Yogg into your deck and would cast a random spell when you, you drew it. But once we had that wheel of Yogg Saron, we're like, that's, that's the magic right there. That's some of the old Yogg magic with the, with the new school stuff doing Dark Moon Fair, right? And I think from us, uh, the one thing we mainly talked about a lot was the spell requirements and where, how much that was going to be, whether or not that was actually going to be on the card. That was one of the things in terms of uh, the design process that we have with Yogg. Now, to your question about, you know, what is the message to the player base? Yeah. There, there are knobs here, right? There are knobs here. If we, if we, if we think it, if it ever becomes a thing where it's out of hand and appearing too frequent of what we may like, then of course we're going to come in and we'll, we'll change things. And it's also, you know, it doesn't go into every deck. You know, that it's not necessarily the easiest requirement to fulfill, right? You have to play ten spells in the game. It's a ten mana card, right? We, we look at all these ten mana cards with the old gods, and you have to get to that point in the game, right? You have to build something that's going to be able to get to ten mana and have the big effect. I think that's a challenge in itself, right? To be able to construct a deck that's going to be able to survive to that point if there are more aggressive things out there. Um, so, so that would be the, the message there to, to, to the players. Uh, I, I think uh, to step back a little bit, we'll talk about Darkmoon Fair as a design and what we were going for. I think you know, printing a lot more big cards, right? Corrupt as the main mechanic here let's us do some absolutely insane effects on some of these cards. You know, I, I think especially when you get into the eight mana corrupts or the, the nine mana corrupts and what you may see, there's going to be some big stuff, right? I, I think as a, for us as a challenge there, it, it wasn't about, you know, making those things exciting. It was actually about like the one, the two mana cards and what would that feel like, you know, what, as the cost for an opponent. You're going against the deck and they play a two cost minion, and then all of a sudden their one mana card's corrupt. You're like, well, how much work did you do there? So I think that was one of the challenges. And then the other challenge was giving you enough incentive to play seven, eight, nine, ten mana cards and what we can do on some of those cards. I think is it actually turned out really well. I'm very excited about the corrupt and see like how players construct their decks to take it into account. I'm personally also very excited about the late game implications of the old gods and how that affects uh, uh, several classes. 
potentially those that lack uh, win conditions right now. So things like Warlock and Shaman, I think, might be really boosted by Old Gods' presence. But let's let's finish with a little bit about the future. Um, Team 5 has hinted that it will look to rework the classic set more thoroughly rather than tweaks or like a one-class rework that we've seen with Priest might be a bigger revamp. Now, the classic set, you know, it feels like a bit of an artifact of the past, perhaps. And it's it's fine because it was designed many years ago. There are mechanics that, you know, might be undertuned that back then it was they were evaluated to be stronger than what they actually are. Things like, a good example is like healing and paladin. Um or other such things, and, and classes possibly missing crucial things that uh, provide their flavor in the classic set uh, that they cannot really use. And there are a lot of classes that, uh, cards that uh, feel like completely useless, have never ever been played before, or classes, uh, cards that are weird and don't really belong in a classic set, or cards that were brutally nerfed in the past and now just sit there and, and taking up space. You know, they don't really contribute to, to, to that that deck building experience right now, especially for newer players. What can we expect from this rework? Can you can you provide some information of that, some hints? Yeah, in a, uh, what we're going to be looking at, the classics, you know, still going to serve as the building blocks of what those classics can do. I think that's one of the most important pieces there. We look at, like, you know, the basic classic set is come into the game as a player and you look at the cards available and say, what does this class do? What do they do differently than the other classes? What do they do well? Right. I, I think even when we talk about class identity going back, you know, uh, was it a, a year and a half ago now, I believe, uh, we, when we released some of our thoughts on class identity, I think that's been carrying through and talking about, okay, how can we separate these classes in terms of how they function? Now, that's going to be one of the main driving points there. And also looking at, hey, which cards just don't really feel like they belong anymore i think one of our one of our conversations actually before undergoing what we're going to talk about you know in the future it was which class should be next we just done priest and we said which class should be next should be warrior should be paladin you know warrior has a ton of cards that are just like this just doesn't do anything anymore it doesn't really fit what hearthstone is nowadays and what the identity is and what some of the mechanics are right so Cards like that, you know, definitely getting, you know, a, a refresh. And so we looked at some of those classes and say, hey, which class should we do next? And then we backed them and say, let's do, let's do it right. Let's do, let's do it. Let's do it all the way. So and we'll have more information later about that, though. And I'm excited to share about that in the future. It'll be really exciting. I'm extremely passionate about this particular subject to the extent that a few months ago, I actually did a, a full class, classic set rework myself. I even designed cards. Yeah, I should... I, I might write an article, a proposal in the future about it. Uh, I might slip you some cards, maybe by DM if you want. But uh, uh, yeah, this is a subject that I really uh, enjoy t discussing. And uh, I think the classic set is, as you said, it's important to provide some uh, building blocks, a safety net for classes that that are, you know, notable for particular effects and mechanics and and maybe provide not necessarily powerful cards in the classic set but at least like mediocre options that they can use in case they need to fill a gap in deck building wise because i feel like too many classes in the past couple of years were just missing this particular effect had nothing to fall back to and then it, it kind of uh impeded their ability to be viable and competitive and that might be like that's an unfortunate thing but 
that that's what I look to a classic set that you know not particularly powerful but provide that safety net that building block that you know new players also get to recognize and enjoy. Yeah, and and that's something that helps us, right? That helps us designing new expansions. When you look at you know priests, I, I think the the same was oh another priest AOE. Uh, you know, I think that that had gone on for a while, but it's it's about having those options that are going to be baseline fairly strong and something that is going to be one of the centerpieces in that class and having that for a while, right? And then the expansions be able to provide new ways to play new archetypes and really push some of the other boundaries. Well, Alec, we could talk to you forever, but you got to go make Hearthstone. So we're going to let you do that. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Any final thoughts or uh, shout outs you want to give here at the end? I'm just, I'm so excited that it's reveal season, you know, Dark Moon Fair. It's finally here. There's a ton of awesome cards being revealed over the, like, what, next week, next week and a half. So, you know, stay tuned to all that. It's a great set. We're very excited for it. And I cannot wait to play Yogg-Saron and and see what happens with the Wheel of Yogg. Yes. Well, may may your Pyroblast target the opponent. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Would love to have you on some other time. Um, And, you know, we got to talk to the rest of the team on this podcast, too. But thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to, to share some of it with us. Thank you, Thanks, y'all, for having me. Seriously, it's been a pleasure. Take it easy. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.